Turn to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We're continuing a sermon that I began uh, last week. Well, I began a two-part. We're in a series dealing with a biblical worldview, dealing with having a biblical worldview. Just because I think it's so imperative, so critical, that we as Christians hold true to, cling true to, a biblical worldview. And if you want, you know... Um, it may help you. We have fill in the blanks in the bulletin. So if you're one of those that could help you by taking notes, I encourage you, go in the bulletin. We have a page with fill in the blanks, and you can follow along and keep yourself awake, maybe that way. I had a lot of content last week. There's a little less this week, so maybe it won't be necessary as much. So we're going to continue here. We began two weeks ago with the urge for you to test everything, to be a culture warrior. And then last week we began talking about God as the creator. But before I get into that, I want to talk a little bit more about evangelism. A biblical worldview goes like this. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created everything and he created it good. We see that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God created everything and he created it good. We're going to talk about that again here in a moment. Um, we, through sin, the world has fallen. We're going to come to that next week and the week after. Genesis 3, we see that we live in a fallen world. The whole world is hurting because of sin. We see evidence of that all around. Not just humanity is hurting. The whole world is hurting because of sin. The world is fallen. Jesus has redeemed the world, but it's not restored yet. He's going to restore it, but we're not there yet. Jesus has redeemed us. What do we think brings hope? What do we think brings help? What do we think brings support? Can, can, can humanity save us? That would be humanism. No, we can't save ourselves. We need divine intervention. We can't restore. We need divine intervention. You know, we can live something like uh, 40 days without food, though I haven't tried. I try not to live more than a few hours without food. We can live something like three or four days without water. Haven't tried that either. I, though I don't like water, I always drink some supa type of substance, uh, coffee or Coke or something. We can live like four days without water. We can't live for a few hours or even a few minutes without hope. Jesus is our hope. And I want to ask you, is he really your hope? Do you really believe that he is the hope? Do you really believe that he is the redeemer? And if you really believe that, do you have people you're praying for evangelically? Do you have people that you're praying that these other people are going to be saved? Do you have a prayer list of children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, great nieces, nephews, neighbors, people who need the gospel? Do you pray evangelically? If you don't, I encourage you to pray to make sure you're truly saved. Now, I know that's a strong statement, and I just did it. But 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith unless you fail the test. And if we don't care about the salvation of others, how are we truly saved? How do we take this living water that Jesus offers us and hold it up inside? I heard about a church. A church was growing. Growing. By leaps and bounds, this church was growing. And the pastor would meet with this other person, and they would meet weekly for prayer. And this older man, he's with the Lord now, this older man came in one day, and he said, Pastor, we're getting too big. We're just getting too big. we got to stop. We're getting too big. And the pastor said, well, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to close the doors and say no more? Do you want, what, pick a number, 800 people. If we get to 800 people, we close the doors, we say, no more, you're not allowed in. And the pastor said to this man, your daughter's not saved. 
What if she's that 801st person to come in the door? Your daughter's not saved. The man left. The way I understand it, he was usually a little more grumpy about things. The next week, he came in with tears in his eyes. Tears in his eyes, which is uncharacteristic of this man. And he came in and he said, we don't need to stop growing. We need to reach one more person. We need to keep reaching one more. Just one more. Just one more. We need to reach one more. He said with tears in his eyes, I want my daughter to know the Lord. Are your children saved? Are your grandchildren saved? Some of you got great-grandchildren. Do you care about their salvation? Are you having conversations with them? Are you prayerfully praying for them daily, fasting for them, spending nights in prayer to pray that they would be saved? Maybe some of you think, well, they're saved. They only go to church Christmas Easter. Are you having conversations with them? Never assume somebody's saved. This is eternity we're talking about. This is a fuller life now in Jesus and eternal life later we're talking about. Are you sure that your children are saved? If they're living in sin, I don't care if they go to church. Christians don't live in sin. We, we mess up, we struggle, but we repent. We don't live in patterns of sin. And gossip is a sin that Christians often overlook. I don't care if your children or grandchildren are living in gossip, that needs repented of just like anything else. Pray for just one more. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. And let me ask you something. What are you willing to give up to reach people with the gospel? There are sacred cows in every church. I hear about them every pastor's prayer gathering I go to. And some of them are just crazy. True story. A church got a new piano. But they couldn't take the old piano out. People would get mad. They tried taking the old piano out, but no, they couldn't do it. People got mad. They inched that piano out each week, a little bit each week, until it was eventually out the door and no one noticed. What sacred cows do we have? Is it formality? Is it, is it music? Now, some of them are scriptural, biblical things. There's no conversation about. You've got to stick with them. But churches die for preferences. We need to reach just one more. And I urge you to have conversations with your family members. You, are relation, you have relationships with them. Say, look, if you have a problem with Sunday morning, come to the Saturday night service. I'll come with you because I want you to know the Lord. Or maybe some of them, maybe they know the Lord, but they're not growing as disciples, which may mean they don't really know the Lord. I know this is really hard truth. I urge you. I was with um, last week a pastor's prayer meeting, and we went on a field trip. We went to visit a pastor in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And maybe you know, maybe you don't know, we went with uh, John Reiser and one other, just three of us, drove up to Ypsilanti, Michigan to see the pastor up there who can't usually come to our prayer meetings. And John Reiser's, many of you know John Reiser, his grandparents uh, had a farm in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And he would go there in the summertime and he would work the farm with, with his grandparents. He would work the farm. And he, he, that farm goes back to 1860. Like his great, great, great somebody grandparents built the farmhouse. So we saw the pastor there and we prayed with him and then we were all going to lunch, the pastor and the three of us, and John Reiser wanted to go see the farm that he would work at every summer and that his grandfather worked, you know? And we go and we pull in the driveway of this beautiful farmhouse next to this barn and farm and you could tell John Reiser was getting kind of reminiscent, you know, thinking, well, that's where we had the chickens and that's where we did this. And, and we pull in and it's not his family anymore. But the local pastor knew the person who lived there and she was outside working in the garden. So the local pastor said, would you like to meet the person that owns the farm now? And John said, yeah, I would love to. So John meets this young lady and he, said, and, he, and he talks to her about how he grew up going to that farm in the summers. And then he points at the window above the porch. 
He points at the window above the porch and he says, that's the window of the room where my great-grandmother, John Reiser's great-grandmother, prayed through on three generations. <laughs> she prayed for the next three generations that they would be saved. That was like her prayer room. And she was praying that her grandchildren, great-grandchildren, her children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren would be saved. And then she told John Reiser's great-aunt, it's your job to pray through the fourth and fifth generation. <laughs> so she prayed through the generations that weren't even born that they would be saved. And she said to her daughter, it's your job to take it to the next. How are we doing with that? Everything was created good, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The world fell, Genesis 3. Jesus has redeemed us. If we truly believe that, we're going to pray that way. Pray for your children and grandchildren. Pray fervently. Pray all night. Pray and fast that they're going to be saved. Take it that seriously. Pray for your grandchildren that aren't even born. I had a professor challenge with me that in college. And, you know, pray fervently, evangelically. Jesus has redeemed us, but we're not restored yet. In Chuck Colson's book, I shared this last week. I'm going to repeat it to get going into the sermon. In Chuck Colson's book, How Now Shall We Live, he writes about a father going on a trip to Disney World with his daughter. He had planned this trip with his daughter because he had some trouble with his daughter. His, they, they found marijuana in her purse. She wasn't as interested in church. They, they, they raised his daughter in the church. They raised their daughter in the church. And, and now she doesn't really care about the spiritual things as much. And they go on this trip with, to Disney World. It's just like daddy and daughter going to Disney World. The daughter's something like 14, 15, 16 years old. They go to Disney World, and it's Sunday morning, so they go to church. And the daughter really didn't want to go to church, but she went along, you know, with with um, an attitude, of course, not that any of us would know like what that's like. Anyways, with um, teenage daughters. I'm not there yet, but my nine-year-old can have an attitude. Don't tell her I said that. But anyways, so she goes to church, but with an attitude. And then they go from there to Epcot. And as they're going through Epcot, she gets a little, a little happier about things. But she still wasn't happy going to church. And the dad is just overwhelmed. Like, what, what has happened to my daughter? We've raised her in the church. What's been going on? And they're going through a ride at Epcot. And it's a ride with Bill Nye, the science guy. And Bill Nye, the science guy, is talking about how everything just came to be through macroevolution, which would be large-scale evolution, evolution across species. And on the ride at Epcot, the, the Bill Nye is talking about everything, everything just evolved. We just, we just got here by chance. And then, the, and then the father, the father realized, I'm trying to raise my daughter with a Christian worldview. I'm trying to raise her in the church. But ever since kindergarten, the schools have been going against that. Ever since kindergarten, she's been taught large-scale evolution. That's macroevolution. Macroevolution means that everything has evolved across species. By the way, if you're filling in the blanks, a large scale is the first two blanks, and then evolved across species is the next three blanks. And I'm not giving you any more answers. Anyways, um, Ever since kindergarten, she's been taught we just, we just, we're just accidents. He's trying to teach her through the church, the biblical worldview. But that's what she's being taught at school. Last week, if you recall, I referenced how the Berenstain Bears, I love the Berenstain Bears. Well, there's a Berenstain Bears book, and it says, right there in the book, it says, nature is all that is or was or ever will be. 
So I'm in a sermon series on having a biblical worldview. The Bible exhorts us to examine everything carefully, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Examine everything carefully, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Listen, Christians, we cannot let our guard down. We have to examine everything carefully. We can't just coast along and think everything's okay. It's not okay. The world is fallen, and it's going against Christianity. And you look at things, and you wonder, what's going on? Why are things happening the way they are? And I want to urge you, they're happening the way they are. is because we are in a fallen world, and right now, the United States of America and most of Europe, if not all of Europe, has left their Judeo-Christian values, and they're not being replaced with, with anything, okay? They're not being, re- besides Islam, okay? Okay? They've blessed their Judeo-Christian values, and so there is no right from wrong. There is no right from wrong. So as Christ followers, as Christians, we must cling to the biblical worldview. We must examine everything carefully. We must understand the world is fallen. They're not going to believe like we do. We must go back to the Bible, back to the Word of God, and examine everything. Every form of media is giving us a worldview. Every news source, every movie, every video game, every form of literature, every commercial, really everything that we watch, read, or listen to is giving us a worldview. Everything is giving us a worldview. And most of the time, they are not the Christian worldview. I'm not saying don't watch them. I'm not saying don't be entertained by them. I'm not saying don't learn from them. I'm saying test them. Test them with the Bible. And when it doesn't match up with the Bible, that doesn't mean you don't turn it off. It means that you reason with yourself and talk to whoever you're watching with and remind yourself this isn't the biblical worldview. For example, Star Trek. I'm a Star Trek fan. Some of you might be like me that way. Maybe some of you hate Star Trek. Star Trek has a different worldview. It's naturalism and humanism. Star Trek would teach naturalism, that nature is all that there is or was or ever will be. Star Trek would teach... I know they don't aim to teach, they aim to entertain, but they're teaching. Star Trek would teach humanism, that we can make the world or the universe a better place for humans. Star Trek would teach that humans can bring redemption. Humanity can bring um, restoration. Humanity can make things right. Guess what? That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not a biblical worldview. We are fallen. We live in a fallen world, and we need divine intervention. What about Star Wars? Many of you like Star Wars, I'm sure. Star Wars teaches Eastern mysticism, pantheism. Pan means all. Theism means God. Star Wars teaches that all is God. This is God. The pews are God. The table is God. The pulpit is God. All is God. Think about Star Wars. Use the force, Luke. That's using the force, using God, who is part of creation. That's not the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview teaches that God is the creator, and the creator is separate from creation. I'm not saying don't watch Star Wars or Star Trek. I'm saying understand the worldview they teach. What about Marvel movies? I just started watching Marvel movies. I always thought they were terrible, but actually they're pretty good. But Doctor Strange, just watch Doctor Strange. I was watching it with the kids, had to pause it and say, this is a different worldview. Doctor Strange is a strong Eastern mysticism, New Age worldview with pantheism that all is God. What about video games? So you may think video games are pure, <laughs> some of them maybe, but a lot, what, what, what could, maybe, maybe if the game isn't teaching a worldview directly, what if it's teaching a worldview by you just playing it? What about the addictive qualities of video games? Could they be teaching you or your children or your grandchildren, whoever's playing them, that you can have, pl- that, 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 that um, you can have pleasure and purpose through video games? Is that the purpose that God has given us? In life is to play games constantly all the time. 
Certain games are made to be addictive, especially Minecraft and certain other ones. But, you know, only God gives us purpose. And guess what? We are also stewards of our time. We also are stewards of our time. Could the media, whether movies or TV or, or even video games, be, be teaching us in an indirect way that, that who cares about time? We can just amuse ourselves to death. All these things have a worldview. And we need to caution ourselves. Certainly some things are fine. Some commercials or books or movies or news sources are not corrupting our worldview. However, we must test them. And this is important for us, all of us. I don't care how old you are. You're never too old to be corrupted by the world. Today my theme is that everything was created good. And we're going to focus on Genesis 1.1. My application, again, is examine everything carefully. Test everything. Examine everything carefully. You examine it with the Bible. Look with me with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 31. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So, in the beginning, who created in the beginning, thank you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was just good. It was very good, right? And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God created. I want to walk through creation a little bit, okay? Recall last week I spent a lot of time focusing on the high importance of seeing God as the creator. Listen, when you take God out of the picture, you have no purpose. Life is meaningless, and that's what we see happening right now in our world. When you take God out of the picture, life can be meaningless. Right now, suicides are on the rise, anxiety is on the rise, depression is on the rise, and that certainly can happen even with God in the picture. But if you take God out of the picture, it really, really, really goes up. If you were not here last week, I highly encourage you to read or listen to that message. God created, and this also means that God is separate from his creation. God is distinct and separate from his creation. God is not the same as his creation. God is separate. God created the earth. Now, the first two verses are an overview. In Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2, it's an overview of God creating time, space, and matter. God created time. God is outside of time. I know that makes my brain hurt to think about it. If it does you, I understand. But God is outside of time. God created space. Imagine that. God created matter. And those are your next blanks, by the way. <laughs> Starting in verse 3, God gives order to this matter. God arranges. God arranges his creation so it's not such a mess. Starting in verse 3. The rest of the chapter deals with the details of the earth and its surroundings. God chose to create everything in six literal 24-hour days. On day one, God creates light. And this light, this, this light may not be the sun. The sun is created on day four. So some would believe that this light is the light of God's very presence, which makes sense because in Revelation 21 and 22, it says there will no longer be any sun because God himself will bring light. There's some other views on that, which I'm not going to get into now. Most have believed the light is light emanating from God. On day one, God also created the idea of day and night. On day two, God creates the atmosphere. Notice the waters are already there. On day three, God creates land and vegetation. On day four, God creates the moon and the stars. Notice that the Bible doesn't use a noun, sun or moon. You ever think about that? The Bible does not use a noun, sun or moon. And if you need a refresher course on grammar, a noun is a person, place, or thing, okay? A verb is an action. The Bible does not use the noun, sun or moon. 
It just says God, you know, had the lights to govern the day, you know, and things like that. If you study the ancient religions of the Middle East, you can see that they worshipped the sun and the moon. In the ancient Near East, they worshipped the sun and moon. So Moses was careful not to use those terms. In fact, if you really study this text, you can compare it with the other religions of the Middle East. And comparing, you can see that Moses is writing this, correcting those religions and showing that there is one God and he is supreme. You hear that? If you study the other religions of the ancient Middle East, Moses is writing this. God is inspiring Moses to write this, correcting the ancient Near Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern religions. And God, through Moses, is showing there is one God and he is supreme. On day five, God creates the creatures of the sea and the air. On day six, God creates the land animals and humans. God is creating everything. He is the creator. He is separate from creation, and he's creating it all good. By the way, humans are the only creation specified. Humans are the only creation specified. Humans are also created in God's image. You do not see other animals or wildlife created in God's image. You do not see other animals um, uh, specified. Notice also, this is very, very important. It takes male and female to reflect the image of God. It takes man and woman to reflect the image of God. If we read on to Genesis chapter 2, we see more specific detail about the creation of Adam and Eve. God created everything seen and unseen. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. It has a wonderful, worshipful passage about the Lord. The Lord creates everything. He gives life to all. And the heavenly host bows down to God. Why does the heavenly host bow down to God? Because God is the creator. And God is separated from his creation. He's not one with his creation. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by him, that's Jesus. For by Jesus all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So as God is creating, really we see Jesus is creating. Scripture affirms the direct creation of Adam and Eve. The Bible teaches the direct creation of Adam and Eve, okay? Adam and Eve did not evolve in a macro, large-scale way. Um, we see a direct creation of Adam and Eve. The Bible also teaches, this is from Wayne Grudem's book, Systematic Theology, or Bible Doctrine. The Bible also teaches that God created Adam and Eve in a special, personal way. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God created Adam. After that, God created Eve from Adam's body. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. That's Genesis 2, 21 and 22. God apparently... God apparently let Adam know something of what had happened. For Adam then said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Genesis 2.23. In Genesis 2, the Bible gives great detail about the creation of Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve in an intimate, direct way. 
And I know I'm being somewhat simplistic talking about creation this week and last week. Today, my goal is to teach that God created everything good. God created everything good. And that is important to the biblical worldview. Today, my goal is not to teach on evolution versus creation and the evidence for a young earth creation. I preached on that before and will again. Uh, Today, my focus is that the Bible teaches that God created and he created everything good. I don't think I have to convince you about the importance of creation. I think most all of you agree with me on that. I do think I have to convince you of the importance of testing everything. I do think I have to convince you through this sermon series to not drop your guard, to cling to a biblical worldview. If you need help, I reference the Colson Center's uh, daily podcast, which you can hear on Christian radio called Breakpoint. I referenced Al Mohler's The Briefing. I've got a new convert to The Briefing over here. I'm very happy with myself. And uh, uh, Al Mohler's Briefing podcast, which you could listen online. These are things that really help us dissect culture. Dissect culture so that we cling to a biblical worldview. Every form of media is trying to counter the Christian worldview. Now, as we move to application and we think of God as the creator, how do we apply this? How do we, how do we bring this to home plate? Death, pain, and destruction is not how God meant for things to be. You hear that? Death, pain, and destruction is not how God meant for things to be. If you read through Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see that God created everything good. There was no death. We were not created to die. In the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life. You see that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, the tree of life. And because of the tree of life, humans could live forever. In Genesis 3, 22, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, it shows that the tree of life is what allows us to live forever. After sin into the world, God talked to his heavenly court and he said, Now sin has entered the world, and man could take from the tree of life and live forever, even with sin. So God cast them out of the Garden of Eden. However, someday God will restore creation. And we see in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, and 22, verse 2, 14, and 19, that the tree of life will be part of the new heaven and new earth. If you look at Revelation 21 and 22, which we're studying right now in my Sunday school class, we see the tree of life on both sides of a river in the new heaven and new earth. God is going to restore everything perfect. All this stuff that we experience in this, on this planet is because we live in a fallen world. When we deal with addictions or mental illness or depression or problems with anger or greed or death or the consequences of death of a loved one, maybe the loss of a child or a miscarriage, when we deal with all of that and the other violent things of the world, they're part of the fallen world system. Someday, for those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we will have eternal life in paradise with him, and everything will be restored. This is not how we were meant to live. A few years ago, I was counseling someone who was in her lower 60s at my past church. Her husband had died unexpectedly, a, brain, a type of a massive stroke or brain bleed, and he died within a few days. And I told her, it, it, the Holy Spirit told me really to tell her, look, you were not meant to go through this. We are not meant. Death is unnatural. God didn't create us to deal with that. Someday God will restore creation. Let's make some applications. God created everything. Worship him as the creator. 
If you're not worshiping him, worship him as the creator. Worship him for everything. Don't worship the creation. Worship the creator. Don't worship the Grand Canyon. You see the beauty? Don't worship the Grand Canyon. Worship the creator of the Grand Canyon. Don't worship the amazing mountains or the ocean or whatever else you see. Or, you know, worship the creator. Don't worship your pets. Worship the creator. Don't worship your spouse or your children. Worship the creator. God is the creator of everything. He intimately created everything. Worship the creator. God is a creator. This means that he owns everything. Do you realize that? He owns you. He owns me. He owns everything. We are merely stewards. He even owns our time. That's why when I talked about a biblical worldview with video games and TV and movies and media, we are stewards of the time. It is God's time. Ephesians 5 talks about making the best use of our time because the days are evil. God is the author of life. This means that we must submit to him as the ruler. We will submit to him now or later. I encourage us to do it both. God is the author. That means that he has a purpose in creating the world in us. Listen, when you take God out, life is meaningless. It's nihilism. It's hedonism. It's all the other isms that I talked about last week. God is the creator. We have purpose. God created us and gave us purpose. We have a purpose, and that means that we are designed, and life is not meaningless. Life is not meaningless. Go home and read Psalm 139. Psalm 139 about God knitting us together, knitting a baby together in the mother's womb. Being that we are not the author of life, guess what? We do not have the authority to destroy life. We do not have that. Being that we, uh, being that we are created, this means that life is sacred. Life is sacred. When you take a life, you're destroying the image of God, uh, Genesis 9 says. Being that we, are, um, uh, we must not insult God by a failure to attribute things to him. When we fail to attribute things to God, we are insulting God, the creator of life. We must trust God. Why shouldn't we? If God is all-powerful, if God is powerful enough to create everything we see, then guess what? He's trustworthy. If God is powerful enough to create everything... You can pray for that miracle because the creator can intervene and do amazing miracles, and he still does. God created. All of creation, seen and unseen, comes from God. We must not worship creation, worship God. God created. We must not be afraid. God is the creator, and he is in charge. We do not need to fear. When we see beauty, we must worship God who created it. God created the world good. This means that when we see pain and suffering and bad things, this is not as it was meant to be. So where did history come from? The first worldview question that everyone needs to answer is where did history come from? God created everything, and everything was created good. My challenge to you again is that you go home and test things. Those are your last two blanks if you're filling them in. Go home and test things. This week, test every form of media, movies, music, news, don't forget news, books, video games, every teaching, every documentary or PBS thing you watch, or even the homework your kids or grandkids bring you home that you work on them with. Test everything for its worldview. Make sure that you, I like the word cling to, make sure that you cling to a biblical worldview. Make sure that you hold fast to a biblical worldview. We are in a culture right now that has lost all values, that is imploding, that is falling apart within itself. Why is that happening? 
because they've lost the Judeo-Christian worldview and they do not know right from wrong. It's really what the book of Judges says, I believe, three times. Man did whatever was right in their own eyes. We need to cling to a biblical worldview. We need to reflect on ourselves first. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to exhort the congregation on a biblical worldview. Lord God, I thank you also for continuing to convict me of the high importance of testing everything, of clinging to a biblical worldview. Lord God, I thank you that your word declares creation to us. Your word tells us you created, you are the creator, and you created everything good. Your word tells us that eventually, someday, you're going to restore creation, as we see in Revelation 21 and 22. Lord God, I thank you for your word telling us salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall inherit everlasting life. Lord God, I pray that we really care about that. I pray that we really care about redemption. Redemption of ourselves and that those we love and care for and certainly even our enemies, that we would want all people to be saved because we know 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, you desire all to be saved and come to repentance. Lord God, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior or maybe needs to repent and turn back to you, may today be the day where they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, believe in you as a one and only Savior, trust in you and commit to you. Blessing, care for us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite Steve and the worship team up for the closing song and also closing prayer at this point. Please stand if you're able.